Thessalonians 5 tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. I'm glad, thankful my family can be here, and the pastor's gracious in letting them come, bringing them. And uh, last time we were here, they were all, uh, the kids were shorter, more little, and, and so they're going and growing. And Priscilla, she is nine, will be 10 in November. Will is in the middle. He will be eight in just a, a couple of weeks in August, and then Gretchen will turn seven in September. And so they're going right along. We were married 17 years before God gave us our first child, Priscilla, and uh, we may talk about that in a, a little bit later in the service or in the week. And so we just soon took 17 years and uh, be the last one and only one, and then right behind Priscilla was Will and Gretchen. And so... My coffee's gotten really strong in these days, and uh, it's been good. It's been really good. Uh, pastor appreciation. Pastor, you've been here nine years, correct? So I, I mentioned, he asked how long I'd been pastoring. I said, just a few months after he came here, we went there, and I wasn't sure on the spot for about nine years. How many years altogether have you pastored? And uh, preaching or pastoring? Pastoring. Well, Mission Field, 20. 20, over 20 years. It's a great honor to be able to be here for pastor, pastor appreciation. You know, if you have me back in 10 years, I'll be 60 years old and it'll be the same picture you'll use of me by then. It's, it's been 15 years working and it's the best picture I'll come up with. And so there's no need to doubt them now. There's no need to update it either. So it's... I look at that, it's like, who is that? <laughs> kind of get schizophrenic here and just see the person. But, um, but I'm glad to be here for pastor appreciation. And I really, I feel the Lord would have me do this. I don't have a good sermon tonight, but I, I have a message I want to be able to get across. I believe it is in context of revival. It may not seem like it, but it really is. You can, as, as a married couple, as a husband and wife, a husband can be extremely successful in the world. He could be making a lot of money where there's no want for money. But if he's not right with his wife, he's not right with God. Young people can be making straight A's and effective in every aspect of school, going off to college, just great career ahead of them and, and doing extremely well in everything. But if young people, you're not right with your parents, you're not right with God. And I really believe with all my heart that you can be doing well in every aspect, even of the church. But if you're not right with your pastor in the way God tells us to be, you're not going to experience revival, personal revival. And the point of the personal revival is that we can experience corporate revival. But I want us to see, in light of pastor appreciation, some things that the Apostle Paul emphasizes and how you can pray for your pastor, not just this weekend, but tomorrow, this week, a prayer list for your pastor. And if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, let's stand together and we'll read. Let me get, get over there to it. 1 Thessalonians 5, let's look at verse number 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So he's, he's telling us that we can all be involved in ministry. You can be involved in this aspect of comforting yourselves, edifying one another. Verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them, who? The ones that are over you spiritually, very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And so Paul's giving some things on how to, one, live in the last days. That's what he's talking about to the church some principles to live by in the last days. Living uh, principles. We sang living by faith. And some things we need to stand by in the last days in verses 1 through 11. But verses 12 through 28, he talks about some leadership aspects for the last days. 
And both are extremely important. And so here he's saying, here's how to think about the one that's over you. But go down to um, verse number 25. Brethren, pray for us. Now, who would you think is writing this letter? Paul. Paul is the Apostle Paul, not Billy Ingram. Apostle Paul says, brethren, I've got a prayer request. Pray for us. He just said to know them which labor among you, esteem them very highly in love. Verse 12 and 13, for work's sake, pray for us. If there's anything that you want to do that everybody can do and ought to do for your pastor, Paul says, pray for them. If Paul needed prayers, how much more do we need the prayers of the church that God has placed us in? So I want to give you on pastor appreciation, a prayer list for your pastor. Thank you. Please be seated. Know them, verse 12, that is respect them. It includes appreciating, respecting them and their work. Then he says, esteem them very highly. This is a very strong, um, forceful command in the Greek. It's hold them in highest regard. It should be an ongoing, continuing attitude that Paul says. And then he says in the verse 13, and live at peace with one another. He's saying it really is not start living at peace. You need to maintain being at peace. But then verse 25, brethren, pray for us. Praying for your pastor is what allows your church, church family to go forward as a whole. How many really want to see Calvary Baptist Church go forward, not backwards, but go forward? You want to see that? Would you raise your hand? Well, this is how by praying for your pastor. I've said many times, you going in as an evangelist, now as a pastor, but going into a church, I've always been under the impression, maybe because I was taught this way, if you encourage one pastor, you've encouraged an entire church. Why? Because that's how leadership works. God has placed it that way. Why is it that the Bible says in Revelation that the Lord Jesus is holding those seven pastors in his right hand? Because his love for the church and the way he's going to best help the church family is by working through those men and those pastors. And so Paul is saying it's important that we understand, that you understand, I need you to pray for me. The church, if it's going to go forward, it has to go forward on its knees. That's why Jesus said, my house is to be known as a house of prayer. Missionaries Jonathan Roslin go forth back in the 1800s, went to China. And their assignment was to open a, a new field in the northern section And it was a challenging assignment. They had a larger family. They struggled to learn the language, adjust to the climate, and uh, and, and many other undesirable surroundings that they had to adjust to. And they even had a death in their family with one of the children. So they were struggling. One day, a letter arrived from Hudson Taylor, then a pioneer missionary with uh, the China Inland Missions, and he wrote to... Roslyn to Jonathan Roslyn go forth these words. We understand North Honan is to be your field as a mission. We've tried for 10 years to enter that province from the south and have only just now succeeded. It is one of the most anti-foreign provinces in China. And Taylor then says, brother, if you would enter that province, you must go forward on your knees. The go-forths took Hudson Taylor's advice. Prayer became their strongest tool. It wasn't just some uh, tool in the tackle box. It was their mainstay. With persistence, perseverance, and prayer, they mastered the language. People began responding to the message of a loving Christ. A female convert filled the go-forths need for an assistant Bible teacher for women. 
they succeeded because they advanced on their knees. Calvary Baptist Church, uh, the best days are ahead. I believe that. I, I truly believe because that's the nature of our God. It's not just optimism to keep us from um, being in a lull. No, God always has more in store. But in order to see the windows of heaven open wider and wider in the manifest presence of God, as we, we heard about this morning, we're going to have to go forward on our knees. If you establish a prayer routine in your life and you establish a life of prayer, your life will be anything but boring. And so here, Paul says, pray for us. How to pray for your pastor. We're going to look at different places here. Go to Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, let's look at the things in which Paul instructs us as to how to pray for our pastor. Romans 15, verse number 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You see that? Verse 39, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. If there's anything you can do and there's something that everybody should be doing and that is getting off the bench and praying, praying with your pastor, praying for your pastor. But here he says, you not only should you get off the bench, get into the game by way of prayer, but he says what I need you to pray with me about what your prayer, what your pastor needs you to pray for him with regards to is verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints that I'm, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Number one, ready? Writing it down. You have something to write on. If you don't, write on the person's arm next to you. It's just whatever you, whatever you need to do. I learned a long time ago that a uh, bad pen is going to be better than a good brain. It'll last longer if you can write it down. Number one, pray for God to protect your pastor from every enemy. Pray to God. Pray for God to protect your pastor from every enemy. Do you think God has any enemies? Yeah. And the man of God, he's not here. Again, he's not here by the will of man. Your pastor is here on an errand by God. And he's going to have enemies, opposition. You say, well, if he wasn't so bold. No, boldness is what we're lacking. Boldness is what we need. Stephen would have never been stoned in Acts 7 had he not had boldness. Right. Acts chapter 4, when persecution set in, the apostles, they realized we don't quite have the boldness we used to have after we've seen some people knocked off. And so what did they do? In the context of a revival prayer meeting, they said, Lord, give us boldness. What did God give them? You look at it, it was the manifest presence of God. They, God filled them with his spirit. So it wasn't their boldness. It wasn't human boldness. It wasn't human personality. He was filling them with God. When Stephen was stoned to death because he looked at those men who needed to come to God, he said, you stiff-necked. You, 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 uh, you, you men uncircumcised of heart and ears. I mean, he's going right for the jugular. And someone says, well, you know, he needed to take a, a class on how to win friends and influence people. The problem is the Bible says he was filled with the spirit of God. And so there's enemies, but the enemies are enemies of the cause of Christ. And Jesus said there would be, if they hate me, they'll hate you. But if they hate Jesus and love you, something's wrong with you. But we've got to recognize that your pastor needs prayer. Pray for his physical protection. 
Pray for his physical protection. Pray for his mind, his heart. Pray for such protection that the enemy cannot get to him. I used to hear, you know, growing up, you, you, you may mention it here, but I used to hear in church all the time, pray for traveling mercies. And it always had to do with, with traveling. I, I thought traveling mercies was a gospel singing group. And I, I was always waiting for them. We keep praying for them all the time. When are they going to come in and sing? Pray for the traveling mercies. And, and I realized, well, you know, we're, we're praying for protection. But how much more should your pastor need that kind of protection? Pray for his family. A faithful pastor's wife. What, 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 what a privilege you have to have such a faithful pastor's wife. See, if you're not careful, you'll sit where you sit and think that they're just, he, he, that he's a superhuman being. He just, he doesn't feel like we feel and think like we think. And, and he's just as real of a person. You cut him, he'll bleed the same way you would. But what you've got to recognize is there's an awful lot of God's enabling that they tap into recognizing they've got to go through just the same Christianity lessons as you and I, but they also have to answer to God for even a greater deal of responsibility, and that is that of pastoring. And then you've got a pastor's wife who recognizes this is the most unusual calling. Listen, I traveled as an evangelist over 10 years. I was in a church every week. I was with the pastor every week. And when I went from evangelism to the pastor, I just assumed I can do this. I, I, I'm with the pastor every week. I understand this. I understand preaching. I understand nature of the church. But I want to tell you this. I didn't have, I didn't have a clue. I wasn't at all ready. I, I really felt like after a year, I struggled so much preaching at church. Christy would tell you, I said, I think maybe God moved me over to the pastor, but not even thinking about the pastor, but God moved me off the road, maybe because he was taking away my gift of preaching. I struggled so much. I would hand write my announcements just to make an announcement. I struggled so much. And I would say over and over, I did, I was not ready. And I still don't know that I'm ready. I struggled because I did not have a clue as to what went into this aspect of pastoring. It's a call. It's a call. And I recognize that. And, and, and with God's calling comes God's equipping. But the point is, is that it didn't, it, it doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter the number of people. If I was pastoring 10, I would have felt the exact same way. It wasn't the responsibility on my desk in the office. It was the responsibility before God to be able to, to answer to God for the souls of men. It was, it, was, uh, it was a burden I had never, ever experienced. And you can't understand. I don't think you can understand it unless you have been there. I didn't understand it until I got there. But Paul says what you don't understand and can't understand by experience, you can understand your responsibility to pray and get to the throne of grace. It, I messed up some family vacations in the earlier years because I didn't understand in evangelism, I, I'm not in a meeting, I'm unplugged. I, mean, I just, I, I'm off. I, 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 I didn't have any responsibility. But as a pastor, I, I didn't realize there's never a time I'm not pastoring. It took me some time to understand I'm here, but I'm still responsible for everything that happens there in Canaan Baptist Church in Covington, Georgia. That was hard for some time. It was hard to recognize how, how, how do you unplug? You can't unplug from that. I know there are men who walk away from it. But that's not because God does that if they walk away like a Demas. But it is such a... An awesome, awesome responsibility. No wonder Paul says, pray, pray for us. Pray for God to protect your pastor from every enemy. Pray for your pastor's wife. Pray for your pastor's fa uh, family, his children, his, his kids are getting older. He's, 
he's got them. They're all marrying off and Zane, he's got another year or two. And, and uh, it's, but I'll tell you, you don't get this far with the family that, that the shiflets have unless they're experiencing at home what he's preaching to you in the pulpit. I'm going to tell you what's going on around the country. There's a lot of young men who have grown up in a pastor's home that are now working for their pastor daddy. And they're changing their daddy. A pastor who used to have some standards and some sense is listening to sons who are taking him to the left. You know why? Because they didn't taste and see that God was good. And they started to do what Christy's saying that we shouldn't do, and that is doubt God now. You know, you, pastor's family, we're talking about, they're not all in full-time Christian service, as, as some of us would call it, but they're all in full-time Christian service. The fact that they're in church, they love God, they love their church, they love their mom and dad, that's not by accident. In fact, God says, you want to look for a pastor? He said, you look at his home. That's what he says. I've heard some pastors say of their kids, you better straighten up because you're the one who qualifies me. Listen to me. My kids don't qualify me. My leadership in their life is what qualifies me. And so I preach this a lot of times with the home with trepidation because I'm not out of the woodwork. But the, but, but the reality is you ought to be encouraged that you've got a, a, a pastor that is, uh, that, that is experienced God in his heart and experienced God in the home. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But God's plan is perfect and they're best that they know how. They've been following God and they're helping you follow God. And because of that, there is a devil that is attacking and would love to get in and rip them apart. What would it do across the country if the devil were to get in? People would say, oh yeah. And they would, what they would do is they'd go after the things that your pastor has preached and that you've stood for and you've believed and they would start attacking the things that he preached as not being real. I'm telling you, the devil wants to use Calvary Baptist Church, but for the wrong reasons. When I pray for God's protection, I pray that God would help expose the tactics of the enemy. I know the devil's fighting. He's just so, he's such a liar. He's so deceptive. And I'm so dumb. I'd say, God, would you expose it? Shine the light on it. Help me to see where the slithering serpent is among us. I can hear his hiss sometimes, but it's hard to detect it. And sometimes Satan will use even good people. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter wasn't Satan. But Jesus recognized Peter needed to recognize, you're letting the devil use you. Don't you think the devil wants to use anybody of influence and how much more if he can go after the head? If the devil can go after the man in the home, the devil's gone after the home. And if the devil can go after the man of God and, and God's watchmen over the souls of men and over this band of disciples... He's going to be able to do his destroying work. God expose, protect your, my pastor, God, from every enemy. Number two, go over to Ephesians 6. I'm saying in my mind because I've never, I've never preached this, uh, this won't be long. And so I wasn't going to say it out loud because I figured I would jinx it and it would end up being long. And so now I'm just... I'm, I'm just admitting. Um, Ephesians 6 and verse 18. Praying always. I love the, the, the uh, alls that are here. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
You ever found yourself not wanting to pray for somebody? Because you have a bad thought, bad feeling. They rubbed me wrong. And some people, maybe they didn't rub you wrong. They just, they just body checked you. You know, you just, you've got some, some valid reasons. I don't like them. But Paul says you're to pray for them. And you'll find that your, your, your attitude will change towards the people you're interceding for. And so it's interesting too, another context on prayer. And Paul's saying this matter of unity, the matter of, and, and unity is not uniform. It's not being a clone. It's us being in step following the one who is the leader, the chief leader, and then we have an under leader. And Paul's always talking about this. We need to be, recognize you're on the same team. Some of you are falling asleep. Am I putting you to sleep? I'll, I'll come down there. I'll, I'll come down and have to walk with you. And, uh, but, but don't go to sleep on me, all right? Don't do that. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll set this aside. We'll go after something else and, um, and then we'll come back to it. So stay with me. If I could communicate through dreams and visions, you can sleep. I don't know how. And so you got to stay with me. Um, and so with the unity in mind, Paul goes on to say verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And here he's saying, because of my boldness for God, not my sake, but for God, humanly I'm in trouble. And people would say I'm incarcerated, but he says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Rome didn't lock me up. Jesus did. And, and so would you do this? Don't pray that God would help me. Pray that God would give me more boldness because Christ is the answer. So number two, pray for God to prepare and use your pastor. Pray for God to prepare and use your pastor. He mentioned going down to the, the Navajo Nation and, and that is a very difficult, every place is difficult, but, but there, is, there is quite a difficulty there among the, the Navajo people and a lot of, of prejudice and, and, and really racism among the, 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 the tribe people. And we, we've held some meetings down there in years past. And they need God. They need God to rend the heavens and come down. Pray for God to prepare and use your pastor. Give them utterance and boldness. Pastors are commanded to feed the flock. However, they're not commanded to make home delivery and bring it to you. Your pastor cannot feed you if you don't show up for the meal. And then there are some people who complain about the meal. And the question Paul would say is, so what part did you put into in praying for it? We pray for wisdom and liberty. So often, wisdom and liberty. How many of you have, have preached? Would you raise your hand? Let me qualify. How many men have preached? Would you raise your hand? We would have meetings, special meetings. We used to say any visiting preachers... We'd have some women stand up. So now I have to qualify any, any male preachers, please stand. But how, how many have preached? Would you raise your hand? You, you understand the challenge that it is to communicate without liberty. Sunday mornings, we have a men's prayer time at eight o'clock. And every Sunday morning, we rotate the men. And uh, there's about 40, I think I saw 43 this morning that was sent to me. And, and they go through the list. I tell them it's not if, but you will. You will get up and give a 10-minute challenge. And I gave my handout on how to give a challenge. I want them to be able to learn from the playpen to the pulpit how to articulate what God is doing in their life and how to handle the Bible. And I will find out, and I still get shocked. I shouldn't be shocked, but I, I forget. But I will find out from somebody else that will say, they've been nervous for three months trying to figure out what they're going to say. They'll look the nicest that they've looked ever as they show up for those 10 minutes to stand before their friends, uh, those other men in the church at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning and be able to speak. And I think every, every, every man ought to get up. I, I've been having our men rotate and welcoming, opening up the service. And I found out that some of those men, they struggle, they're pacing just to be able to get up and welcome somebody without fumbling. One of our men got up and prayed one time. And I 
I, I just take for granted. I just want you to open up in prayer. Welcome to Canaan Baptist Church. Glad you're here. If you're a guest or you're an honored guest, whatever, and then just go to pray. And one of the men got so nervous, he prayed. He said, Lord, would you meet with us today and help the pastor bring the sauce? And so I was like, hey, man, if God answers the prayer, that's good. And I need help with that. I've added it to my prayer list. That'll be number next here. It's good. You, you, so you know, you, those of you who have preached, you know how important it is to have liberty. You know what it's like when you've trudged through that and, and um, struggling. You know what you're saying is true and the word of God is powerful. How many of you have ever sat in a congregation and you've heard a pastor struggle in preaching or a preacher struggle? Would you raise your hand? Here's what the carnal people do. Well, that's not his finest message. Well, he's, he's, he's really having a hard time. I maybe should put a clip of this on YouTube. Isn't that something how they put these clips on YouTube of people hurting themselves? As a, and people are laughing at it. I'm thinking, I hope I never fall down in front of a bunch of people who have their phones out. But you want know spiritual people do when the preacher's preaching and he's struggling? God, you've got to help them. Remember Daniel prayed? God went to answering immediately, but it took three weeks for the answer to get there because there was such a fight in the heavenlies that Daniel couldn't see, you and I could not see, but there's opposition to the work of God going forward. And Daniel kept praying. I'm telling you, you ought to be praying before you ever enter this building. You ought never come in and sit down and see what the preacher's going to do, what the choir's going to do, see what specials really ring true. What, what, what is it that blesses me? No, you ought to come in with a blessing because you've been in the presence of God. Oh, I didn't graduate from Bible college. I don't have a degree. I'm not ordained. If this is not about your degrees. This is about you getting a hold of God in your own life and understanding my responsibility and your responsibility to be in prayer for God to use your pastor. See, we sometimes think if we had a better pastor, we would have a better home. But God's way is if you have better homes, you'll have a better church. And your pastor is doing everything to help your home. He knows he's not the priest of your home. He's not trying to be. He is the pastor of a group of disciples that are committed together, called by God. And this is a body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head and he will never give an account. He will never, he's open. He'll answer your questions. He probably allows himself to be shot at and attacked more than most men would. But he does know he has an appointment to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ for you. Pray that God would prepare and use him. Pray while he's preaching. You say, I can't do two things at once. Sure you can. It's interesting how Jesus would have a conversation with his disciples. Then he'd just go right into, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And he just turned right into a prayer. Your pastor knows how to preach and pray at the same time. Christy knows. I take my glasses off. I don't do it as often because I have to read notes when, I, when I'm not as familiar with it and I don't have the road map down when I'm preaching. But when I can and I can take my glasses off, it's because I can't see anything when I take my glasses off. It's because I'm going to praying and preaching at the exact same time. I'm saying, Lord, I need you to help. I need you to help. I need you to help. This is so critical, and the devil is trying to destroy a life in whose name I may not know. But he's a liar, and he is not asleep. He is actively trying to destroy. Pray that God would prepare and use your pastor. Number three, go to Philippians chapter one. Not far, just a page over. Look at verse number 19. Verse 19, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. 
Now, he said over in verse number 12, but I would ye should under, it's like a missionary prayer letter. And this is what Paul's saying, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. You know what Paul's talking about? Some things happened unto me. He's talking about what about 10 chapters in Acts describes. Shipwreck, persecution, mob going after him. And he just called it some things happened. In other words, Paul was not focusing on the ordeal. He was focusing on the outcome. And so he said in verse 19, for I know that this shall turn, turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply, supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Turn and supply are two key words. Turn, turn the circumstance for the glory of God. And in the midst of this things that are happening, he's, he's in uh, under arrest at this point and writing this, turn the circumstances for the glory of God, supply the resources through the Holy Spirit. So he's asking again, and notice and, and what he says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. I know that God can turn the circumstance for his glory through your prayer and provide the available resource that I need. So number three, Pray that God would help your pastor as he deals with problems. Do you ever think he deals with problems? He deals with the same problems you deal with. Just as a human being. As a husband, as a father, as a citizen. But then as a pastor, Satan's attacking. People don't get the big picture. God's working. You don't get the big picture. He still has a responsibility. Here's where we're going. Here's what God's wanting us to do. And problems arise. There's always going to be problems. A lot of times preachers want to ignore the problems. The problems exist whether you ignore it or not. The only reason we may focus on problems or we may may address problems is, is because we believe there is God's grace that is much greater than any problem. We believe that there's an answer. The answer is found in Christ. But the the point is, you've got to pray. Pray that God would help your pastor as he deals with problems. Much of the ministry is working through problems. 90% of what your pastor does, maybe even more, is outside of this pulpit. The thing that we love more than anything else, and I haven't asked him this, I just know he's he's a preacher. The thing we love more than anything is preaching. And that's the thing we do the least. Because you know what ministry is? Ministry is all about, let's back up. A lot of times we're, we're, we challenge people to recognize God's call in ministry. And there may be a, a conference, a session, a, you know, you're, maybe your, your own pastor where we'll, we'll say, did, did somebody hear the call of God to preach? You want to preach? You want to get into ministry? You got to respond. You got to surrender. In other words, we're, we're drawing the net for people hearing the call of God. And you'll hear somebody say, God called me to preach. And they'll stand up and give a testimony, a call to preach. But, but. A lot of times the messages that, that would be used, not, not even in a deceptive way, but a lot of times the appeal in which we're calling people to ministry, the appeal is something like um, Elijah repaired the altar and he prayed a short prayer and the fire of God fell. God showed up. How many would like to go into ministry? Peter preached to 5,000 and people got saved and the church was, grew overnight. It became, it went from a, a, a miniature church to a mega church in one message. Who wants to surrender to ministry? But do you know that the passages we preach from, every writer of the New Testament was persecuted? And you can't think hardly most of us cannot point out a pastor that we would know that has gone through any kind of a persecution like those who wrote the Bible that you have in your hand. 
We don't talk about John being boiled in oil alive. So how many would like to sign up and go into ministry? So here's what ministry is. Ministry is all about getting into the mess of people's lives. When Jesus in John chapter 3, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, almost a third of the book of John is one night. John 13, before Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the cross the next day. John 13, and by the way, do you think Jesus knew he was going to the cross? Yeah. So what did he do the night before he goes to the cross? He took those disciples. He knew one was going to deny him. He knew one would betray him. He knew that they would all forsake him. He's poured his life into him, and now his last night. He wasn't thinking selfishly. He was thinking servantly. He got down on his knees and took a towel and he washed dirty feet. He wasn't just saying, as we will sometimes present, he's showing us what a servant looks like. That's not just what he was doing. But he was also saying to those disciples, I've been trying to tell you. I've been trying to help you. I've been telling you what's ahead. You're not prepared. And Jesus is letting them know. I'm with you. It said, he said, unto the end. And I am in the mess of your life. I'm not going to leave you. How oh, I will go. Theologically, God said he would send another of the exact same kind so that he would never leave them. John 17, Jesus prayed for them. By the way, when you and I pray, if we go into, especially as a church, your church enters into prayer. Your pastor called for prayer at the altar this morning. Do you know literally what's happening? We are entering into a prayer meeting because Jesus prayed John 17 for you. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is praying for us still. But Jesus got on his knees and the Bible teaches us why he was able to do that. Because he knew where he came. He knew where he was going. He was not insecure. In the ministry today, so many preachers are insecure. Yes, and if they knew what's about to happen the next day, they're going to make it all about them. You know, there are things going on in this church you will never know because your pastor can never get up and explain it. He will be shot at. He'll be misunderstood. He's going to be criticized and he'll be ridiculed because he can never get up and tell you all the truth because he's trying to protect not himself, not just you, but the cause of the entire church. And the Lord Jesus got down into those dirty feet and toes, letting those men know, I'm willing to walk through the mess of your life. I say that ministry is about the mess, but that's only part of it. And that's not really what it's about. Ministry is actually about miracles, but you'll never see miracles unless you're willing to get into the mess of somebody's life. So your pastor's not content with anything that God's not content with. He's not content with you just coming. God's not content with you just coming. God wants you to get all in. In fact, your pastor will let you walk away, as did Jesus. You know an interesting way in which Jesus went soul winning? See, we, we, we have so much this idea, you, you don't want to go to hell, do you? you want to go to heaven? Well, why don't you ask Jesus to save you? And we give this idea that heaven is just a, or salvation is a ticket to get out of hell. 
And then we say, you need to come to church. I got to do what? Well, you didn't tell me that. You know how Jesus went soul winning? This is, you look it up. He said, follow me. Follow me. What does that mean? It means if you're not saved, get saved. And if you're saved, you need to keep following the one who saved you. That follows the whole gamut. He didn't say pray your prayer. He didn't say, all right, next, um, uh, after some period of time, would you consider maybe getting baptized, joining the church, and, and, and maybe, no, he said, follow me. God created you to follow him. And if you are not saved, you better get saved. You take your last breath without Christ, you'll die and go to hell. You say, my name is on the membership role of a church, you'll die and go to hell as a member of a church. You say, I teach Sunday school, you'll die and go to hell as a Sunday school teacher until you get saved. Jesus said, follow me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. And if you are saved and you've not taken the next step of surrender and following God, you're not right with God. You are not right with God. When I got to Canaan, I was seeing people coming to church on Sunday morning and they wouldn't come back. And I let them know that's not the will of God. It's not God's will. By the way, getting saved and not joining a church is not normal Christianity. You want the benefits without the process. And that's like, that's, it's like the whole left wing idiots that, that say come over here without uh, being part of contributing. We want the benefits without becoming a member. And, and you're not going to get to heaven without being a member of his family. And to be a member of his family, God says, you need to follow the one who just saved you. And God's process is that you need to continue to follow him in the church. What is the church about? It's helping you with the mass so that you can see the miracles of God. It's not going somewhere where somebody says, well, that's not, that's not so bad. You're not so, no, you're not, don't, don't feel bad about yourself. You just need some, some positive affirmation. No, you just need to be punched in the nose. And that kind of talk, it's going to destroy your life. And Jesus didn't say, well, you, you know, just, just try harder. No, he said, follow me. I never found anywhere where Jesus said you can't be saved, but I do see at least three times where Jesus said you can't be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to hate your father and mother and, and wife and brother and sister and children, yea, in your own life also. And what Jesus is doing is he's playing off of contrast. Your love for God ought to be so great that in comparison, your love for everybody else looks like hatred. Whereas it's the other way around. It looks like more people love father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yea, even their own life also, and they hate Jesus. And so, thank God when you have a pastor who's willing to get into the mess of your life. So, because we have preachers, and you maybe are used to some preachers that are not like that, if they only knew, if they knew what was going on, then they're not going to be for me, or they're not going to like me. It'd be like me saying, I, I think I got cancer, but I, I'm afraid to go to the doctor. Because I don't want the doctor to think bad about me. I might need surgery. But I don't want them to think, think bad about me. Isn't that dumb? God has divinely called a man who will help you get into the mess of your life. Yes, I know. I know there are preachers that make us feel like you have to be on performance. This is not about performance. This is about getting to God. And when we're seeing that you're not quite there, you've got some, some things in your life that's tripping you up. And you've got a man, you've got a pastor who really, literally, he wants nothing but God to show up in your life. Oh, you ought to thank the Lord and recognize this is not, this is not happening everywhere. That's right. 
And we know the devil wants to disrupt it. So let's pray, 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 pray that God would help your pastor as he deals with problems. So much of our ministry is done outside this pulpit, as I mentioned, hospitals, bedsides, homes, and office. I, 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 I've prayed so many times in counseling situations. I've prayed. I don't know what to do. I'm listening and I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. God, help me. And I know God shows up. As you've known, some of you men know what it's like when God shows up when you preach. I've told Christy some of the best messages I've ever preached has been in a counseling situation when I've not known. I have not known what to say. It is so bad. But it's because somebody's been praying. Number four, look at Colossians chapter four. I'm going over Philippians, Colossians chapter number four. Four and verse two, continue in prayer. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thank, thanksgiving. It, it, in verse two, you see divine connections. Watching and praying goes together. Praying and thankfulness goes together. But notice verse 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So number four. Pray that God would give your pastor divine appointments. Pray that God would give your pastor divine appointments. He preaches out. But I know, I know enough to know he, does, he doesn't have time to waste just going somewhere to preach. He's wanting God to show up wherever because we recognize the great danger that exists of professional preachers that are almost like this, this uh, uh, rock star mindset mentality. I've been in places where I've seen preachers get done preaching and it's only like 50 of us in the building and it's like you can't get to them. You got to set up an appointment with their press secretary just to be able to talk to them after the service. And instead of us recognizing God resists the proud, that shouldn't be of God. What happens is young guys look at that and say, well, I, I want to be like that one day. And so all over our country, there's big shots. Yes. But no one's bigger than God, so what do we have to boast in? We're not a big shot. We're just servants of the Most High. And because of that, the message that your pastor has is so important to get out. You've got to pray that God would give him divine appointments. Do you know that being a part of this church is bigger than... than being a part of, of a church and being a part of this church is being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. He mentioned that about missions. Your missions is incredible. Your missions is not just reaching Dundalk and surrounding in Baltimore. It is worldwide. Jesus said that he would build his church. How? By prayer. And so Paul is saying, would you pray that I would have divine appointments? I've got appointments, but I want divine appointments. I want to know that God is in this. You got it? Number five. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We were in 1 Thessalonians. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Notice in verse number 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, verse two, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Number five, pray that God would give your pastor lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. Well, why would I pray that? It's for God's glory. God gets the glory for that. It's all about God. Don't you want God to be known and seen? Listen. I, I don't ever want people to think, boy, Brother Ingram, boy, I, we just really, really honor him. Um, we'll, we'll never be used of God because we're not like Brother Ingram. And, and, and I'm not even a great example. I, I, don't, I don't write books. I don't write music. I don't preach. I don't sing. And so um, 
In fact, not, there's really not much I can do. I mean, the more I say that, the more discouraged I get here. I mean, but uh, in fact, I was preaching one time in a Bible college. A young man came up to me and said, Brother Ingram, you really encouraged me. I said, praise the Lord. I said, how? He said, I figured if God can use you, God can use anybody. <laughs> That's true. and It doesn't make me feel bad. If God can use Balaam's donkey, God can use anybody. And your pastor has been extremely gifted. He's talented. To whom much is given, much shall be required. But the truth of the matter is what he wants is fruit that will remain. That's what Jesus is asking for. And you want people to see, I don't have to, to leave wherever I am. You, don't, you really don't. You don't want people to think this, that, that God can't use me in our part of the world. God can't use me in our part of the country. I've got to get here and move here. Now, if God wants them to move here, that's different. But the truth of the matter is you want them to be able to see and hear the message that he's preaching, that God can use anybody who will make themselves available to God. Anybody that will seek his face, God will show up. And that's contrary to what's being preached in so many places. Why? Because people are trying to build a name for themselves. And what your pastor's wanting is fruit for the glory of God so that people can see, oh, I know he can preach. Oh, I know he can organize and lead. But there's no way fire can fall on that ministry unless God stepped in. Yeah. Number next, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1. Now I recognize we've used this a lot when we're dealing with public officials. But Paul says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. And so all men means all men. For kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life and all godliness and honesty. Number six, pray that God would lead your pastor. Pray that God would lead your pastor as he leads others. Intercession is the highest level of prayer. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus is doing. Intercede. Cooperate with Jesus in praying for your pastor that God would lead your pastor as he in turn is leading others. James 1 and verse 5, we mentioned wisdom, but pray that God would give your pastor clarity. Christie's heard me say, our, my staff has heard me say, the deacons have heard me say, probably one of my biggest prayer requests these days is, Lord, give me clarity. That's wisdom. Lord, give me clarity. If you're going down the interstate 80 miles an hour, heavy, heavy fog sets in. You're not going to go at the same speed. Because when fog sets in, you can't see. And what happens when fog sets in and you're gripping the wheel over a period of time, five minutes turns into 15 minutes, turns into a half an hour. Fog leads to fatigue. And when fatigue sets in, it leads to flirting with ideas you would have never had otherwise. I just think I'm going to get out of this. I've heard several pastors say in my short span of ministry, I just can't take it anymore. One of the things I pray for my children is that they'll see Jesus. I don't care if they see all the mess. There's mess all around us. The church is hurting people. You ought to be able to come and hurt out loud. I don't mind if there's bleeding. I don't mind that happening. I want people to take the mask off. We pray. God, bring us the hurting. Bring us the people that are, 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 are bound, who have strongholds. Bring us people who are looking for real. Bring them. But I want my children to love Jesus so much that they're not going to get bitter. I don't want them to get bitter. And as I look at your pastor's kids, have they ever been hurt? I don't know. I've, I've been around them for a long time. And I don't ever hear, I never hear them talk about hurt. I see them serving God and see them sweating, serving God, pouring their life into it, talking about ministry, loving ministry, loving. They're not trying to get away from mom and dad. They're, they're, they're always hanging around mom and dad. 
I mean, it's not because they're shielded from problems. It's because they've been pointed to Jesus. If Jesus is willing to get down into the mess of their, your life, then, then they recognize, man, Jesus will get down into the mess of my life. What reason do I have to get bitter and quit? But what happens is people have no clarity. It's like a fog. I can't see. Stay with it. Don't quit. But I can't see. You can't. He can. Stay with it. Just, in, just when that fog breaks, you see, oh, it's, it's, it's not that bad, but it might be too late. Pray for clarity. Fog leads to fatigue. Fatigue leads to flirting with ideas you would have never thought otherwise. And go one last one. Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Verse number 18. I know some may say, well, I don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews. Well, God did. And so we'll just go with that. And, but here's the, the request. Verse 18, pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. Number seven, pray for your pastor's spiritual growth and blessing. Pray for your pastor's spiritual growth and blessing. In other words, praying that God would keep him clean and right. Three times in this chapter, you have the phrase rule over you. If God's repeating something, it's not because he's rambling. He says three times, them that have the rule over you. Verse 7, he says, remember them that have the rule over you. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And verse 24, salute them that have the rule over you. Remember them in verse 7 is the idea of learning. You need to understand, understand something of what he's going through. Understand something, just try to understand the big picture. You know, the, there, there's a time to talk to him about some problems. 10.55 a.m. and on a Sunday morning probably ain't the time. Only selfish carnal people who don't know any better may do that. Now, I understand if you just, no one's tipped you off on, that may not be the best time. Here's the tip off. That may not be the best time. Now, I've, I've said, I'm not, I am not, again, you know that I'm not as gifted and as talented as your pastor. So I've told our church this way. You want to talk to me before the service, before I preach? That's fine. But you just know my brain is so simple. If you bring it up to me, it's going to come out in the message. No, and it's not even by design. It's just going to come up. Now nobody talks to me at church anymore. Remember them, it speaks of the word of learning. Obey them is the word of submission. Now, it's not the same word obey as children obey. It's not the same word, but it is a strong word that is this idea. Children, my children are to obey whether they understand it or not. But this word is the idea, listen to what he says, think it over, and then if you know what's good for you, you'll follow. And so God says, submit. If, if, if you want the blessings of God, you'll want to follow. What if he's wrong? That's on him. Right. See, God's saying this is for your sake. Verse 24, salute them. It's the word of encouragement. When was the last time you encouraged? Encouragement. That, that's all there. Verse 7, 17, and 24. Understand what he's going through. Why? Because he's here for your sake. Word of submission, follow him. Why? Because God put him here for your sake. Verse 24, encourage him. Why? Because God put him here for your sake. So here's number seven. 
Pray for your pastor's spiritual growth and blessing. See, what he says in verse 7 and 17 and 24 is this. You need to work at the relationship. Work at it. Work at the relationship. Teach your children to respect their pastor. You, you do a great job here. And I'm telling you, keep it up. Remember them which have the rule over you. Obey them. Salute them. Teach your children to honor, respect, obey their pastor, whomever he may be. If they go somewhere else someday, they, they, God moves them and have a family of their own. And, and understanding it's not about the ideal pastor, but it's the ideal recipe that God has given so that the church of Jesus can advance and your, your life can be blessed. Pray that God would keep your pastor usable. A visitor asked Charles Spurgeon, what's the key to your ministry? And without hesitation, without even thinking, he said, my people pray for me. My people, pray for me. I hope that prayer list will help you. Let's stand together, please.